Developers, 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 developers. Developers, 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 developers. Yes! Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. We're recording this on the evening of January 3rd, 2018. Happy New Year. And uh, tonight we are going to talk about assembly management in .NET with the NuGet Package Manager, uh, particularly going beyond just the basics of just pulling down packages from the public NuGet repository. Uh, so, Chris, this topic was actually your idea. So you want to go ahead and just kind of kick us off what you were thinking yeah. about? Yeah. I mean, last time we talked about version control because I think it's pretty no-brainer for anyone listening to this podcast that I'm, we recommend version control. If, if you don't have source control, you just have a bunch of text files that you hope you don't lose tomorrow. But one of the issues I come across everywhere that I've ever been, everywhere I've ever worked, is package management of uh, our own code. So this isn't talking about uh, NuGet in terms of what we all do when we start a new project and what's the first dependency? We, we probably go get json.net. That's <laughs> <laughs> like the first thing we go get from NuGet. So for the purposes of this show, I, I feel like we assume that everyone listening understands that part of dependency management in .NET, which is yeah. going to package. get yeah going to get packages from the official NuGet source, whether they're a popular third party like like JSON.net or whether they're Microsoft stuff. Um, yeah. For a long time, you used to get SignalR. I used to love to talk about SignalR, so you go yeah. get that from NuGet. Yeah. But well, now with with .NET Core, everything is is NuGet. Everything yeah, is a yeah. package, right? Yeah. yeah. Which I think I think that will be something really interesting to get to later. But when we talk about uh, your own code. It, at your own, wherever you work, whatever your team is doing, more than likely you begin to develop some libraries. In fact, if you're like most places I've been, you might have myorganization.common, right, or something like that. Right. Util, yeah, utilities or whatever. And then maybe <laughs> yeah. you get a little more sophisticated and you break them out. But that's not what what this is about. It's more about. So now that I've done that, and I've decided, we've decided as an org that we're going to break away from just having them be other projects in source control that we point to using SVN externals, or we maybe point to as sub-projects in TFS, like links, yeah. linked projects. Yeah. No, we want to use NuGet. Uh, we think we should just pull our packages in just the way we pull in Microsoft packages. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks get stuck, like, okay, well, what's... What's the first thing we do? I keep hearing about, like, there, there's MyGet and there's Artifactory and there's, and or or do you just host your own or like, like what do you do? What how do you start? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's I think it's important if we kind of jump back probably about ten years ago because um, NuGet was introduced. I think it was about two thousand eight. Yeah, if I, I had that right. If it was now, do you remember the original name when they first announced it? Oh no! Oh, you remember they announced it? They said introducing Newpack. Newpack, yeah, right. And, and Phil Hack was. Uh, I mean, it was Phil Hack. As far as I know, it yeah. seemed like it was Phil Hack's project. Like it was yeah, really yeah. important. And then they said, "Whoops, somebody else 
is claiming that they've already got that <laughs> copyright, trademark, whatever. It's so not new tags, never mind. Uh, you get. And hey, it's a good thing they that name is important to .NET developers now, so it's a good thing they got that right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I, re I remember it, it came out. I, I wish I, I don't know if it was maybe two, maybe about 10 years ago. It's Yeah, no, actually, it might be 2010, so about eight years okay. ago in 2010. Yeah, but anyway, it's been around for a long, long time, right? And I remember... Uh, giving talks, giving user group talks and co-camp talks about, you know, you need to be using NuGet. And that was back in, you know, 2012, relatively early on, um, because it is just so powerful, right? Man being able to manage these packages because the alternative or the, the common alternatives that people were using before package management in .NET were, I need an assembly. You know, you're you're on one team. I'm on another team. You're producing some assembly. Maybe it's that common assembly. Maybe you're in a completely different company across the world, right? Maybe you're a vendor that I'm uh, I'm using your components or something. But you've got us an assembly. That's what you give to me. That's my dependency. I want to bring it on my project. And now I need to build, right? I need to build on my local machine. I need to build on a build server, right. or whatever. I need to compile. And in order to compile, I need to point to that assembly. Where does that assembly live? And the options 10 years ago were either commit that to source control, commit oh, that yeah. assembly to source Just control. Commit the DLL into like libraries, right? A libraries yeah. folder. The, the yeah. lib folder, yeah, the library sure. folder. Is, that is basically what I did. I mean, that was well, pretty, much, sure. pretty much what I did. Or yeah. if you had a larger organization with a, you know, a, a a, a library that a lot of teams were using. You don't want to commit it into source control. You don't want each of them committing it. Maybe you use a UNC path somewhere, right? And you just kind of point to that UNC path or different things like that. And so the, the, the there were benefits of that, of, you know, you that team who was producing that package can just kind of update that folder, right? And you just automatically, the next time you build, you get the latest version. Um, so that's both a benefit and a, a detriment, right? Is that now you, the consumer, are not really in control of when that version updates. It's literally the next time you compile, you get that new version, whether you want to or not, whether it breaks you or not. And so now oh, that yeah. producing team produces a buggy version and everybody's down, you know? Yeah. Plus you have the additional problem of now, now the, the lifetime the version of, of this dependency is, is it's in that same temporal stream of your source control. Yeah. So, so wait a second. We didn't really want to move along, but uh, it's already been checked in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, no. And you, you go back and when you're, when you're linking to that latest assembly somewhere without any kind of versioning. Now the, some of the more mature teams, I suppose we're doing versioning on the folder name or in the file name or something like that, which is pretty, pretty legitimate. Um, but if I would say most teams, or certainly all the teams that I worked on, um, they were just pointing to that folder, you know, called latest, or just called the name of the assembly or, or libraries, um, and you would just get that comment. And so if you try and go back to your code three weeks ago and rebuild it, well, you're rebuilding the code from three weeks ago, but you're building that assembly version yeah. that's there today, not the assembly from three weeks ago, right? I think that's one of the those those biggest the biggest problem is that it's really hard to kind of take that snapshot in time and lock into a particular version of a dependency, right? And there's there's that word, right? Last last time we were talking about Git and versioning, obviously, is a is a big thing in in Git. Every commit has has a hash, has a basically yeah. a version of the code. Right. Uh, and for me, at least, it's very, very difficult to talk about each of these individual things, package management 
and and and, and source code management and everything without kind of talking about the whole thing of versioning. But I'm going to try and hold off on that, at least for now. <laughs> Maybe we can get back to that later. Uh, but that was the problem space, right? Uh, and so NuGet comes, and it and it helps with that. And now you're talking about producing your own libraries, right? So first of all, NuGet comes, and you're able to get JSON.NET, right? And all your favorite third-party and, and, and open-source libraries are just there. And it's in, basically, it's an easier way than going to a website and clicking the download button and unblocking the zip because it wasn't secure because you downloaded it from the internet and then extracting it into some folder. And then what do you do with it? Commit it to source control, right. copy it right. to a, you know, UNC pass somewhere or something. Yeah. The other so thing that was easier way on. of doing that. I think the other thing that was going on is we were trying to get a little bit more mature about this. And sometimes we didn't just want the final assembly, the final DLL. We wanted the code too. So, so there were times where uh, we had solutions. Again, depending on different projects, different teams, different places I worked, is there might be a solution, and then there was a project, but that project was really a linked folder. Yeah. So if you if you're familiar with Subversion, it, you could use SVN externals, which basically said, okay, this folder is really a pointer, not just to this other folder in the SVN tree, but a folder at a specific point in time. Like you could yeah. lock it in, which is kind of like visual source safe pinning. <laughs> uh, remember that? Or if TFS, I don't remember if TFS had pinning or if they called it something else. I just, it's been a little while. I'm kind of all get now. Yeah, right. No, and that's an interesting thing too. That's kind of a third variant there where you're not even talking about assemblies. You're building your own version of the assemblies directly from the source code. And now you you own it, right? Except you don't. Yep. You don't own the code. Yeah. Some other team is maintaining the code, but you build the assembly. So now you own that assembly, and it's you're you're in this right. weird place. It's this gray well, it's, area. It's weird because every build is you don't have that uh, that locked time and space of of yeah. a build means this. You you don't know. I mean, sure, the code was locked, but uh, change the compiler even. Remember, you know, sometimes that that would cause a little issue, install a service pack. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, I think there's a lot of things to talk about tonight in package management, but but I felt one of the first things that I, I see done so differently everywhere and and even only that incremental baby step, um, if, if you see it at all, is you see an org that says, okay, we're going to go ahead and use NuGet to store... Uh, our internal work, our internal dependencies. And I think a lot of our listeners may not even know how you might get started with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've actually done that in several places. Um, the easiest way to do it is you go and, and create your package and we can kind of get into the steps of that later. It's relatively simple, um, but you create a package. The, the, the simplest way to do it is basically just, with the latest versions, you don't even need to create any additional files, any configuration files or anything. It's literally built into MS Build. And so you you literally just say MS Build and pack, right? You run you run the pack target. I think it's the pack target. Yeah. Um, and so you run that and, and it produces uh, a, a NuGet package for you, which is effectively just a zip. So the uh, the, the extension is uh, NUPKG, NUPKEG, they, they call it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's literally a zip, 
So, you know, pro, pro tip, if you just rename it to zip, then you can just open it right up and inspect it right there. You don't need any fancy tools to inspect the NuGet package. But then what do you do with that zip? You need to host it in somewhere, some repository. Um, and so, you know, the, the repository that's going to come pre-configured is the, the public NuGet repository and recently um, Microsoft's repository as well. Um, but then you don't, it doesn't need to be, a URL. It doesn't need to be a hosted server solution. The simplest thing you can do just to get started, actually just point it to a folder, right? And it can be a UNC path. And uh, that is the simplest way, the easiest way to get started. That's really, it really starts to catch up with you because the more and more packages you start deploying there, uh, the slower your queries become until it becomes okay. pretty much unmanageable. Um, because what happens there is in order to do a search, NuGet literally does a file search through all of those files, whereas if you are uh, hitting a URL, if you're using hitting a NuGet server, um, then the query is more of an API, and you're kind of querying a database of all the packages that are available, so that the search is a whole lot quicker. It's, it's basically instantaneous. Uh, so that's the simplest way, right? So you put, you put that, uh, that NuGet package into that folder, and then Point everybody okay. To okay. That but, with their but now, realistically, this what what will make people not want to quit? <laughs> I mean, I, so I I ran with that for several months in in okay. every place that I introduced it because for whatever reason it was difficult to get a server up and running or whatever because these are enterprise environments, um, you know, and it was just an introduce a, a team that I was sorry a, an idea that I was introducing to the team, uh, and so I wanted the lowest friction thing, something that was in my power and so everybody on the team had access to this unc share and we started publishing it including the build server had access to this unc share um so i started publishing it to the unc everybody pointed the unc and that it'll last you a couple months before it really catches up with you obviously depending on how many builds you're doing it takes a couple hundred before it starts getting slow so you can actually get pretty far with that the next step is to your point what you're getting to yeah. the longer term strategy you set up your own NuGet server. Uh, and there are steps online. We can link to it in the show notes. But on the NuGet docs, uh, it's literally file new project, create a web project, install package, NuGet server. And that's your NuGet server. And you point it to uh, a place on your file system. And it's looking for a local file system. But obviously, you can point it to a UNC path or something. So you don't, you're not storing packages on a server. But however you want to do it. It is a web server. It points to a somewhere on your file system, and it goes, and like I said before, it indexes that file system, the packages in that file system, um, and now it gives you pretty much the same exact API that uh, NuGet.org has or, or Microsoft's uh, NuGet repository has. And so now that's your package source, the URL to that website, that API. And now you're, you're up and running. Okay. Now, you think it's a good practice for... Um... I mean, this all you want this to all be part of your like a CI process, right? Every commit. So this is goes a little bit back to yeah. the last show. Every yeah. commit, you know, you commit to Git, and it's going to build a new Git package. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's no point in talking about any of this stuff without talking about CI as a whole, right? Continuous integration and the the entire um, process and workflow of that, of which the 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 build artifact is kind of the the output, right? The input is that commit that you create in source control, which kicks off a build. Um, 
And then the output of that build is whatever it is. And so in this case, it would be the NuGet package. Um, perhaps the output of your build of your web application or whatever is a, is a, is a zip or something. Um, but in, in this case, if the output is that NuGet package, and that NuGet package has a very specific version. And uh, it's the CI server's uh, job to actually make sure that that version is unique and incremental. Um, and so when we're talking about versioning and packages, the, the two most important um, pieces of data on a package are the ID, the package ID. So that's that unique name that identifies the package and the version. And so versioning um, actually follows Sember, semantic versioning or Sember, which is pretty well defined on Sember.org. You can go there. It's kind of, it's an industry standard. Right? It has nothing to yeah. do with NuGet. NuGet has adopted it. Okay, so so just by the fact that you want to bind to the NuGet ecosystem, does that mean you should be following Semver, or that just you'll be much happier if you do, or is right. it totally optional? Like, where's the scale there? That's that's a good question because Sem so Semver is required. That's how NuGet works. So okay. NuGet is going to use Semver to determine what package you are going to get when you search for a name regardless of you know what you think should happen or what you want to happen so to your point you know are you going to be happier how are you going to be happiest using this so what semver does is it really it gives meaning to the idea of uh the major minor patch right so you have a, yep. a version number like 1.2.3 that's the major version is one minor version is two patch version is three um what semver says is those have meaning Yes, And you increment them based on that meaning. So you only increment or you always increment major versions when there are big breaking changes. So you never make a breaking change to a, in a minor version or a patch version. Minor versions are when you add significant features or functionality. And then patches are fixes, refactoring, whatever, you know, nothing really significant. Right. It's a consumer-focused uh, system so that I, as a developer should feel very comfortable taking minor. Exactly. Uh, like once I've adopted three point whatever of your package, that I should be comfortable sticking, keeping up with minor because you're promising me that my code doesn't need to change. Exactly. Um, now, you know, I think we could do a whole nother show on how hard that is to get <laughs> right. Right, right, right. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I think this is a great point because it could get lost in the weeds that, what we're saying here is that NuGet itself adopts Semver, so ignore it kind of, maybe not at your peril, like you could probably get by, but you're just not going to be as happy. Yeah, well, that's why going back to my point of when I say the, I made that very deliberate, very kind of authoritative comment that the CI server handles the versioning, you don't want people managing that versioning because people will screw it up, right? You want to guarantee that every new build regardless of even if it's just a CI build that you never intend to actually use other than just testing or something, um, every new build needs to be incremental. Right. And I like that. Right. And so you don't want to have to have a person remember to do that. That's what the CI system is for is to guarantee that it's incremental on the flip side. You need to lock down that, that uh, the, the NuGet repository too. like, do not let people push to that thing. So that's one of the issues that I have with the with the documentation. So if you go get go to NuGet.org's documentation, if you go to the, the documentation for the NuGet server that I just said, part of the API is a publish command. And 
you know, those document, the documentation will show you, here's how you run the command line to publish from your local machine, right? Don't ever do that because then you run into all of these issues. Now you, the human, are managing these versions and you're going to screw stuff up, right? So you're going to be going back to your point of how you're going to be happy using this. Let the CI server do not publish to anything uh, manually. Always go from from the CI server. Make sure that it is is unique. Okay, so is it a pretty good rule to say every commit is going to get built? And and let's just keep it simple. Let's say we are on uh, we are on two o o. We've shipped two o o. Right, and and we, how we got to this stage isn't quite as important. Um, and then. You know, we, we shipped, we all took vacation, <laughs> and then uh, we had our big party, and then it's Monday morning, and I come in, and here I go. I'm going to change a couple lines of code. That's that the CI system, you're saying, is going to build 201? 201. It could be. 2.0.1, or it might not be. It could be. So what that would be would be a new, it's a patch, but it's a new release version. So part of semantic versioning, which NuGet supports, is something called pre-release. So this is something that's like in development. And pre-release, as semantic versioning defines it, is just um, attach, or, uh, it, it's, a, it's a suffix at the end of the release. So you've got 2.0.1 dash whatever. Whatever, really, right. Whatever. It, at that point, it's alphanumeric. Okay. You do whatever the heck you want. And, and also, incremental. Yeah. it's not necessarily whatever. It needs to be incremental as well. Um, but it can be alpha numeric. Is this so, what we've seen in .NET Core where it says like 2.0.0 dash alpha? Yes. Yeah. That's how they chose to use it. Yeah. 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 And then and they'll give you an example of how uh, an org I know chose to use it is they go dash and they put the git commit hash. Yeah. Yeah. Which I actually kind of like. So there's actually, there are two different things. Um, so there is pre-release. So the idea of pre-release is that exactly what you just said. I'm gonna start development on that next thing. I'm gonna to work toward 2.0.1. I'm not ready to actually release it yet. I'm all of these, th this work that I'm doing is a pre-release to that. So when I say 2.0.1 dash alpha or whatever, that is an alpha candidate for 2.0.1. And I could have alpha, beta, gamma, whatever. I could have 30 of them and then when I'm ready to release 2.0.1, then I take off that pre-release tag and I actually release it, right? It is the 2.0.1 okay. that okay. I've been working towards. So, so 2.0.1 dash alpha is actually the working up to 2.0.1 exactly. exactly. final. You just would never say f dash final. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and so then, I might have been confusing that git hash. Maybe I'm confusing that with the plus nomenclature, which I yeah, think yeah, I'm right. about exactly. to... Yes. Okay. And, and then on top of that, either either in addition to or instead of, instead of that, uh, in addition to that is metadata. So it's a concept called metadata, which, as you just said, that's the plus sign, plus whatever the hell you want, right? And that means okay. absolutely, absolutely nothing. That's okay. not. It doesn't matter into the versioning scheme. It doesn't um, affect how NuGet will pick a version, right? So if yeah. you say plus, use the plus sign, two dot zero dot one plus a and right. then 2.0.1 plus b nuget's not going to treat them any differently and that's not versioning information so versioning in my case and, and i may have i may have been incorrect when i said i i think that it's possible that that org 
that, that that's what they did is they said 2.0.0 plus the git hash yeah and i just remember really liking that because it i liked back nicely yeah. i loved how any i mean i don't care if the system was in production yep. in dev in qa or throwaway yep, yep i could say i know the bits that built that i'm positive yeah, and you know I, what's I mean, also I love cool that. about that? You can kind of go back and you can create things like uh, like release notes or something, right? You can actually go back and see uh, what were the the commit comments for that hash by storing it in the actual metadata right there. So it's pretty interesting. So again, you, you can use that. You can do pre-release. Uh, you can attach that that uh, metadata to a pre pre-release version or not. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You can attach it to any version. So that's a that's a pretty good practice. That's one of the the, the better practices. It's a nice thing to have. Um, it's also a good yeah. practice to have pre-release uh, as you're working, as you're kind of in development, as you're stabilizing the code. Um, and, and going back to the idea of, I, I really can't help myself but talk about the whole thing as one big system. Um, when we talk about branching strategies, you know, we kind of got into this last last uh, last time in Git when we're talking about like the master branch and then branching off of that and doing development in, you know, say a development branch or feature branch or something like that. Um, and then merging back in the master only when it's really stable and really ready. If you get really mature with your packaging, again, taking the human out of it, you can have your CI server attach pre-release uh, tags and versions based on you know what branch you're in. If you're in a feature branch, always attach a pre-release version. Don't ever yeah. let that become a, a release version. And then likewise, you know, when you merge into that master, create a release version of it. So strip off that pre-release uh, version number. So the decision to bump major especially and probably to some extent minor, yeah. that's a human decision, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It so, always has so, been for me. I've never really found a good reason not to, right? Well, because meaningful. because the the computer, quote unquote, cannot tell us whether this is a completely backward compatible change. Exactly. So yeah. now here's here are some here are real world problems I've run into. You you claim that you're starting on two point one. We we believe as a development team we're starting on two point one, and we, in fact we're even we're even creating these new Git packages two point one uh, uh, point. 0, 0.0, 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, and then maybe we're using the dash and the plus and so on. And then we discover in the middle, you know what? This isn't 2.1. We we have to break something. We I don't know why, but this is now going to be a 3.0. So what is there any any good advice there on um, what tool you should use? Like, is this in your CI or is this is this something you tie directly to Git? Uh, maybe even, I mean, I don't know how you would do it. Um, so that what notifies your package management creation system? And and I know we're not using actual names of products, right? But yeah. because anybody, you might be using Team City or you might be using, I, I, I don't know, maybe AppVare or something. Like yeah. we don't, or Octopus Deploy. We don't want to, I don't want to get caught up in your your yeah. product. But what I, I still think these problems are universal. Yeah. Is, is who makes a decision and what, how, how does it get done? Like how does it happen? For me, for me and my teams, it's always been a manual decision. Um, where I'm at now, we're actually kind of talking about making that a more automated decision. But I think even then, it won't 
uh, it won't actually get, get to affecting the major or minor versions. I think those will always be controlled by humans. Um, and uh, you're right. When you're talking, it, it, it really comes down to the tool. You know, each tool might have different ways and it might affect your decision. Uh, I think the universal answer um, is uh, it's kind of simplest and easiest to just commit that into source control, you know? And so I've, I've done that usually with uh, MS build properties in the project file or something like that um, has been the simplest for me or uh, committing it into to some file that, that's in source control, right? A version.txt file or something like that, that that gets fed into the build. And again, when you're talking about, you know, TFS or Team City or any of these others, they generally offer different ways to to manage this, you know, a build parameter or something like that. That's metadata that you set outside of source control. Um, but source control is kind of the universal thing, you know, it's, it's always there. And so that is one way to do it. Um, but if your tool offers the ability to kind of set a, 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 a variable for that build, um, that's generally a better way to do it. And so that's one of those things where you just kind of set it, you set maybe the major and minor, um, and then let the CI system increment the patch. Um, and, and then when you're ready to, to, to upgrade or even downgrade, you know, if you're, I thought where you were going earlier was we're working on, on 2.1. Uh, but then we realize there's an issue with 2.0 in production, right? We got to go roll back and do a hot fix. Uh, for me, and again, this is where we're talking about the whole ecosystem as a whole. You can't just talk about one part. You know, go back in that Git uh, history, go back and find that commit that's actually in production right now, branch off of that in that branch or as a parameter on the build for that branch, depending on your tool, you can then go and change the version number on that build. And so you can now be building out of that branch. You can be building 2.0 dot hotfix, right? Um, while you have parallel development on 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 2.1 or, or 3.0 or whatever you're talking about. Does that answer okay. your question? Yeah, because I think um, you know the issue that, that I've run into before is I, I've seen uh, I've seen teams like try to do this in a completely automated fashion. Yeah. Meaning like we will have we'll have git tags like so the human tags git and says and tags it like 2.1.2 and that informs the build system like the build system will actually look at the and walk the commit tree and say okay well here's a commit and i walk it back to the latest tag that oh 2.1.1 so now this must be 2.1.1. whatever and it's but the problem is that's so automated it's almost I, I'm not saying I don't like it, but it's almost too automated in that when you make the decision later, how, how do you make the decision that, oh, wait, this wasn't supposed to be 2.1. It should have really been 2.2. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, and that breaks my my rule of, of humans shouldn't be doing that, right? So to, to paraphrase what you just said, the way that the package gets built is when a human goes in and tags it, right? It Generally, when I've seen that approach taken, that builds and version numbers and packages are triggered uh, when someone goes and tags something. So in other words, a person has to do something in order for a package to get created with a version number attached to it. Yeah. Um, and so first of all, that's manual because a person is doing something. It's also error prone because it's manual because a person is doing something and people screw up. And so 
that's where I prefer the, for, for me, the middle ground is what I was just talking about before, where a person does something, but they do it once, you know, or they do it at uh, very important points in time. So when am I ready to go to 2.1? That's when I'm going to go and I'm going to manually update that. But then all the hundred builds I make off of 2.1, the patches that I make, those will increment automatically. The system will increment them. And like I said earlier, you know, you can even get a little bit more mature, a little bit more advanced and talk about pre-release stuff, you know, based on building off a branch or something like that. And so, yeah. but all of that after the, the major and minor, for me, that's one of my rules, right? After the major and minor, everything is handled by the CI system. But major and minor have always been, for me at least, manually managed, um, but infrequently touched. You shouldn't need to touch them in yeah. order to affect the version number the only time you're touching them is when you very deliberately want to increment and go to the next minor or, or the next major. Okay. All right. So we talked a lot about versioning and, and I think versioning ties in to your source control. I think you've got to, you got to think about them. They sort of live side by side, whatever your yeah. source control management is, is going to influence your, your versioning. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless uh, if there's anything more, maybe move on to something else like uh, how NuGet has grown, right? Because NuGet, uh, in fact, at the beginning, if I remember correctly, NuGet wasn't just to deliver assemblies; it was also being used for quite some time to deliver um, client side, uh, specifically like client side JavaScript. There was a jQuery package. Yeah, uh, I think it eventually ended up being an Angular package. Um, the SignalR team was delivering the JavaScript client and in order to support that kind of stuff that would that would not just put all it really did was just put files in your project yeah and that was weird because uninstall what does uninstalling mean in a case like that number one and number two the other thing that was weird about it is i think NuGet used to support uh running scripts that would tweak your project okay, for yeah. you yeah, so I mean, it, it could literally do anything, right? It could, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could technically change a registry setting on your system. Right. So when you're talking about the anatomy <laughs> of a NuGet package, what's in that NuGet package? So if you take a NupKeg and you rename it to .zip and then you open it up and you look through, there are a number of folders that can be in there. And that, that kind of delineates what, what type of content is, is in there. Um, and so the, the, the initial folder, the most important folder, the reason that, that NuGet was born uh, is the libs folder. And so that's where you're going to put all your assemblies. And so basically any assembly that you want automatically added to your project as a, as a reference, as an assembly reference, which is the whole reason we were doing this to begin with, uh, is under those lib, that lib folder. You can either put it in directly in that lib folder, or um, you can have folders under that lib folder that are specific to um, framework versions, .NET framework versions. And it's not just the .NET framework. It can also be Silverlight. And I mean, that's what the docs talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we're talking about the early days of new Exactly. But basically the different frameworks that you can target, right? And so if you go to the, the NuGet site, they talk about all the, uh, the different names that you can target. You can even target .NET standard versions. Um, and so in that way, it's pretty cool. If you are uh, publishing an assembly uh, for a wide variety of consumers who could be on any different number of, of .NET, uh, .NET versions or .NET framework versions, um, you, can, you still have that one zip file, that one nupkeg, that one version that produces 
10 different assemblies for the 10 framework versions that you're um, targeting, um, but they are still a, a single version of that assembly, it's still a single release of that assembly because it's the code that was built, that was used to build them, right? Um, and so NuGet figures that out, right? It goes and it gets that NuGet package, it looks in the libs folder, it says I'm a .NET 4.6 application that I'm adding this assembly for, I'll take from the uh, .NET 4.6 folder. Uh, and I'll ignore the net 2.0 folder because I'm not a .NET 2 2.0 uh, version. Uh, likewise, you know, if I am a .NET 2.0 version, I'll take from the net 2.0 folder and and I'll be happy. So that was libs. And then very quickly, to your point, uh, they added what was called content. So there's a content folder. And this was kind of weird because you could put anything that you put in this folder on the initial install would be copied into the project and added to source control and everything. The idea behind this was it was an easy delivery mechanism. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to the original source of, of, uh, right. of NuGet, which is don't go out to the internet and download something and then copy it and add the reference to your, to your, uh, your project, have a tool do that for you. Yeah. Um, if you're a developer in visual studio land, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a place for you to find this stuff. Right. And so very quickly it was, I'm just going to say it was abused, right? Yeah. Oh. Um, it, it was abused, but, yeah, you know, absolutely. us .NET developers, we like to say, hey, Microsoft gave us a solution. Let's use it for everything, right? And it, <laughs> it was a good channel for, you know, well, I'm getting JSON.NET from this. Why don't I want to get JSON.JS from this too, you know? Why not? Right. Like, why not just get jQuery? And I mean, Microsoft even kind of led the way there because you file a new project. I started doing it. Was getting way. jQuery from NuGet and it was getting Angular from NuGet and stuff like that. Yep. In the uh, project but, template. But it was weird. And I and I guess instead of dwelling on it, I, I just want to kind of clarify for everyone that, that we don't, generally the content folder is it is it a still supported in NuGet or b it's basically deprecated like don't do this well you, yeah yeah i mean you shouldn't use it i believe it's still supported um <laughs> i just used it the other day uh <laughs> it was for an older version that i was using so you know it was definitely still still uh supported in that version um but you really have to be careful. It's deprecated. It's definitely, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's officially deprecated, but it's certainly not recommended, right? The main sure. reason is because of what I just said, the way that it works, like it's on install, it adds content to your project. From then on, that content is then versioned. Source like, control it, yeah. It's, yeah, it's source control. It's independent because when you restore, right? So we haven't even talked about this because we're kind of assuming people know, um, but when you add a new uh, a NuGet package reference, NuGet adds that reference to your inventory, the, the NuGet config, the packages config file. And then you commit your source code, not the DLLs, right? That's the reason we're doing this. And so then when you go and you pull your source code out, let's talk in CI terms, when the, when the CI server goes and checks out your source code, the first thing it does is a NuGet package restore which goes and downloads all those NuGet packages, extracts them, and now you have the assemblies there, right? All of your references are fixed. When you do that NuGet package restore, it does not re-extract or, or re-add that content that's in that content folder. So you can't do the same, you can't treat them the same as, as assemblies. In other words, if you have a NuGet package with content in it and you do not check that into source control, so you have the yeah. jQuery library, right? 
and you're getting that through NuGet packages, and then you say, hey, this is a NuGet package, it gets restored on the restore, right? We'll so I'm not going to yeah. yeah, we'll just blow it away. I'm not going to check it in. Well, that doesn't work. Right. The NuGet goes and pulls the jQuery package. It's there, but then restore says, oh, this is content. It's already installed. Yeah. I don't have to yeah. do anything. So it was kind of, it was kind of a bad idea, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, so, I, you know. What it, it does trying do. to solve a problem that maybe wasn't solved at the time for .NET developers because I don't know that NPM had risen to its current glory, yeah, and right, and like we right. we didn't quite have Bower yet, and and actually that may not be true, but it certainly wasn't going to be a tool that .NET developers were touching, well, at least right. I don't think. Right. So I, I think instead of I don't know if I want to get too caught up on it because what I it does lead into is that NuGet isn't just for libraries anymore um i have seen and maybe you can can go into detail i have seen a couple things that i find really fascinating uh for one thing uh, a, a unit testing framework can be installed yeah. via NuGet that that links right up to test explorer yeah. uh new language features like oh yeah i want c sharp i want to use c sharp six yeah uh, you know a, a couple vs studios ago i want to use c sharp six well, just go install the NuGet package. What? Right? Like, yeah, how yeah, does it? Yeah. Or, or it adds like analyzers. So it seems like yeah. there's, there's more that's getting done with NuGet that either digs into Visual Studio, but even besides just Visual Studio, because this is important when it comes to .NET Core, isn't it? Is like I can get new language features this way even if I'm not using Visual Studio. Yeah. No, you know what? That that happened to me when I was doing. I was using the beta bits of Razor Pages recently. Um, and the designer was all screwed up. I mean, not designer, you know, the, the, the red squiggles on my HTML uh, in, in my right. Razor pages were, were all screwed up. It was just not working. And I went to uh, to GitHub. I submitted a, a, a PR or not a PR. I didn't fix it. Uh, I submitted an issue. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, they say, oh, this is this is updated in the new version. I said, oh, I got to go download Visual Studio, right? Because we've been conditioned that these kind of designer features are built into Visual Studio. They said, no, just upgrade the package. (laughs) Lo and behold, you upgrade the package, it's a different experience. Everything works. And this is, this is, you know, this this is code analyzers and IntelliSense and stuff. uh, And it's managed in this NuGet package. It's pretty awesome. Um, So yeah, so there's a couple different folders, right? We got libs, we got content. I'm going kind of historically here. Uh, the next thing that we had that was added was actually the build folder. And this is, you could add custom MS build targets and property files. Um, and so if you wanted to kind of extend your your project file. So I've used this a lot where I want to I want something common to happen, uh, say, uh, post-build. So um, <laughs> ironically, I actually, I, I have a project out there called NuGet Packer. Um, that adds a, uh, a, a an MS build target um, that is the pack target. That's before it was built into to, to MS build now. Um, and so that was my way of, of helping my team build uh, NuGet packages is install this NuGet package. And then next time you build, hmm. you'll create a NuGet package magically. Like it's just yeah. there, right? Uh, so you don't have to do anything else. Just install this package and you're done. Um, and that was through uh, adding a, an MS build target. And then there was the analyzers folder. So in the analyzers, we're not going to get too, too deep into how analyzers actually work, but needless to say, they're just assemblies that uh, Visual Studio knows, knows how to use. And uh, 
.NET, .NET Core, the compiler, the, the, uh, the, the compiler uses them too, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, whatever. They're assemblies. <laughs> They're, yeah, exactly. They're assemblies that contain you know information about how to analyze your code. Um, and you can ship them as as uh, as NuGet packages, and so obviously Microsoft is probably the biggest uh, consumer of that the, that technology in terms of producing these kinds of packages. But you can create your own analyzer, and you can publish it through a NuGet package. Um, and then the last one is the tools folder. So the tools folder, kind of like the content folder, you can just put whatever the hell you want in there. So this is where um, if you want to distribute, so you you want to add. Um, uh, a unit testing support on the console or something like that. Um, or you want to have a unit test runner. You know, this is how they initially did uh, things like X unit or even N unit. Um, traditionally, before NuGet, you would go and go to the website, the N unit website, download, right. install this, or at the very least, extract it to some folder, right? Um, and then when you wanted to run it, you would go and run it on the command line. You'd have to worry about the path and everything. With the tools folder, Anytime you add a reference to a package that has the tools folder, that tools folder, when it gets extracted, is now added to the path that that, that project can be can see. And so if you say nunit.exe um, in, in your tools folder, now all of a sudden you can reference that from, say, an MS build target or something. You can add an MS build target that says post build or, or on the uh, run unit test target uh go ahead and execute this this path execute in unit.exe um it also uh, you can in in this tools folder you can uh, add um i think there's scaffolding tools and things like that that's actually a different package type which we don't necessarily need to get into but yeah. uh basically this is where you put your executables right it, it's they're not dis assembly references these are the tools that you are using at design time at development time not at runtime yeah, so NuGet's really grown up. I mean, yeah. um, like, I, and what's curious to me is, is, is like I said, I'm seeing more and more it's being used internally as well to, to to start with those common libraries. But then, you know, as 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 your team or your organization matures on this, you stop calling them common, and they actually, well, then you probably start calling them service. But then, yeah. but then eventually, they really are segmented out and they represent uh they represent key services and features um key libraries that that are reusable or at least you're trying yeah. to get them to be reusable and that's yeah. actually really hard like yeah. it sounds easy you know we can sit here and talk all day about best practices and you know um to keep your libraries uh maybe focused and doing one thing well but but in practice it's all too easy because you got to get your work done to maybe stuff uh, code maybe where it shouldn't or something isn't completely covered by tests. And so that kind of leads me into um, inevitably what happens is I have a main project, some kind of host project. This might be a website. It could be an app. Who knows what it is? And it's taking on internal dependencies. So my org dot common uh, business framework or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of doing my job, I, I, I wish that I could step through my code and then go ahead and step right into uh, the NuGet package 
because for some reason there's like some coupling there where I want to watch I want to watch the code flow through. Maybe there's some variables I want to watch change. I don't You're talking know. about debugging. So basically we're talking about debugging, right? And I think I think one answer to this is often well, should you really need to do that? I mean, your your uh your library's workings should be covered by its own tests. Yeah, right. And that's that's fair. But I kind of want to get a little real world and say there's a maturity that leads to that, that your team or my team or I myself may not be at either personally or just in the project. So like what well, are right. the options? And even, even then, you're not even necessarily debugging your, your dependency. You know, I'm not debugging the package that you gave me through NuGet. I just want to inspect it and see what I gave, what, what, what value I gave you in that variable, right? <laughs> you know, there's, yeah, there's sure. legitimate reasons that All I want to of- set a, a breakpoint in your code, and it's not necessarily to test or fix it. Yeah. So a little while ago, Microsoft enabled an experience using symbol servers, which I'm not sure a lot of developers know about. I, I'm not sure that it's on by default, where I could literally be just stepping through code, and then I can look at string dot split, like I can step into yeah. it, yeah. and it's really cool. And that experience can be enabled for my own internal libraries. But the question is how? So, yeah, I mean, in the early days, the the way that I did it uh, was just include that PDB in your NuGet package. I don't even know if that works anymore, but regardless whether or not it works, you don't want to do that. Um, Just because that NuGet package should just be that assembly. So what should you do? Um, When you are publishing, let's start with publishing to like the NuGet Forgetting about taking it in-house, let's talk about just publishing to the the public NuGet uh, repository. When you do that, when you say NuGet pack, NuGet publish, and use those those API commands, one of the commands you can say is dash source. Uh, And that will, or dash symbols, sorry. Uh, And that will actually produce what is called a symbols package. And that includes the PDB. It includes any of the XML docs you've got. Uh, and it includes um, what else? It includes an, an something else as well. But basically, everything that you need for kind of documenting and de- the de- the debug diagnostic time experience. It's a separate package, um, but it's literally kind of named and versioned the same as the, the the package that it's supporting. So you'll have like mycompany.common is the package, and then mycompany.common.symbols which are the symbols for that package. And then they'll both have the same version because they'll both be produced at the same time. And the mycompany.common package that gets sent to the main NuGet repository and mycompany.common.symbols, even though it is a NuGet package, it gets sent to another repository, the symbol, uh, the symbol source uh, repository. Um, and by default, the one that is kind of used by NuGet uh, is symbolsource.org. And so you can go, you just register on there. Um, and that's actually hosted by MyGet, which I think we should probably get back to a little bit later. Yeah. Um, which which offers both public and private repositories. So you can go to simplesource.org. You can register for an account. You can create a repository and say private. So meaning the public can't see it. The internet can't see it. But you're still shipping your code, or at the very least, your, your PDBs and stuff, 
out to uh, to a public server. They're leaving your your firewall, which a lot of places like where I'm working now, that's just not an option, right? Everything okay. has to be internal. Um, but if you're willing to do that, it's pretty simple. The answer's already there, symbolsource.org. Go for it, right? And so now you've got symbols. Um, symbolsource.org also happens to be the one that's configured by default in Visual Studio. So there's no additional configuration that you need. It just works. Okay. So if you want to go that step further and keep it on-premises, um, just like if you're creating your own internal NuGet server, uh, you can. there's a, a NuGet package to create a simple server. So you just file new web project and install the package symbolsource.server.basic, and there you go. And now you've got another application. You've got another web server that is your symbol, your internal symbol. This is just server. like a project you build and... Yeah, they just build it, deploy it. It's a web application with an API, and you you push your uh, your packages to it. Your okay, so packages. you started off by saying, when you're creating the NuGet package, there was a another command option. It yeah, was dash symbol. dash symbol. symbol. Yeah, symbol. So that's that's starting things off, and you're saying, do that. The old days of including the PDB right in the package, which was, I guess, it was kind of a hack because yeah. there was wasn't anything to do it. Yeah. Um, was to do this instead, and that way, and then and then Visual Studio links up links you up on the back end by connecting to SimpleServer.org by default. If you're doing everything by default, default. yeah, um, you could you could research making your own on-prem server and keeping all of this in house, or maybe even use like third-party products. Like I don't know if this is something that a tool like Artifactory supports. Maybe I, I don't know. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So, but so, so like if I'm a developer, I bet you there's a lot of developers out there who, even if they work somewhere where every time they check in code in the libraries, it creates a new get package. Um, that doesn't mean that they've done it themselves. Yeah. They may have never typed the word new get at the command line. Exactly. So w- what would you recommend? So I, I decide that I just want to play around. I want to hello world this, and I want to see it work with even dummy, stupid code, the the the, the math service or the calculator library or whatever. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something. That, this is why I wanted to come back to it. I, I would be willing to bet there's dozens of my first packages sitting in NuGet.org. Yeah, right. Is there a better alternative to just play with this whole infrastructure? Is 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 the myget option better, or, or what should I be doing if I just want to try this? And yeah, I'm going to be using the public infrastructure because I want to see it work. But don't we all have to have that experience to learn? Right. right. So it, it depends. <laughs> right. Okay. So well, it depends on how exact how far you want to go with with playing with it. So um, taking it all the way back to the beginning, the easiest way to play it is play with it is is what I described earlier. Create that NuGet package locally uh, and just copy it or 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 uh, publish it, you know, X copy whatever to just a UNC path and add that okay. as your package source, right? And you can actually use that as a, as a as a production solution for a little while, right? It doesn't get painful for a little while, um, but you're going to pretty quickly grow out of it, and then you're going to want to move to that server. And so now your choice is: do you want to keep everything on prem? If so, you're going to be creating that NuGet server, and and if you want those symbols, which I, I highly recommend, you'll be creating that symbol source uh, project and, and deploying those two things on prem and managing your packages on prem. Or if you want to go out, um, there's a bunch of different options. The it seems the most popular is MyGet. So this is what is it? MyGet.com, I guess. Um, 
And so there you can create your own package feed, your own package repository. And so that's what you can publish to. And like NuGet org, basically you get your own private NuGet org and you can control access and all this stuff, right? You can have tokens to, to access it and everything. Um, so this is, you know, some of the third party vendors, the component okay. vendors who want to create NuGet packages, but they want to control who has access to it. And that's kind of like their licensing model or something. Um, you can sign up for for an API key or something to access their feed. Is this my is this myget.org? Myget.org. I, yeah. I just went to myget.org and I get a really nice looking best in class package management. Myget.org. Yeah. So I there's a handful of them. There's, uh, there's also so. I believe it's ProGet. Right. And ProGet ProGet I think is also something you can install on prem. It's, yeah. So, and then there's also different other than just the the roll your own as I described earlier, which is kind of the simplest, the easiest way to do it. Yeah. There are other uh, alternatives. So I've de- I've used Artifactory in several places. That seems to be the winner. Um, the big thing with Artifactory is it's not just NuGet. It's anything. You know, NuGet, NPM, Maven, whatever. It's an artifact management system, um, including your build artifacts, right? So when your build produces like a zip of my web application that is going to be versioned and it's going to live forever so I can I can review it, um, that too will live in Artifactory. Your Docker containers, you know, as you stamp those out and those are the, the output of your build, those can live in, the, uh, in Artifactory. Um, and then so I haven't used the other ones. I haven't used things like ProGet, but yeah, I mean, there's... There's several different options for hosting these things on-prem, but ultimately they are NuGet repositories. You're going to do the same things with them. You're going to publish, and you're going to you're going to search them and consume them. You're going to restore from them. So, do you today? Do you uh, do you always set up this infrastructure with with the symbol servers, and uh, so that so that a package is technically debuggable? Is that like a that's part of your standard toolkit? That's not necessarily my 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 step zero. My step zero definitely includes creating a, a NuGet package, um, but not necessarily the symbol package. I don't really have a good answer for why. It probably should. Okay. Well, no, <laughs> but, I just I just wonder because I think yeah. um, a lot of times, you know, we all get into habits, and then yeah. maybe, maybe the reason why it's not one of your habits is because this wasn't there in NuGet one o or two o. The simple source stuff had to kind of come along, right? Yeah. No, I, I think the better answer is that uh, me and my team just produce perfect code that never has. Oh, well, right. And it's, unit, <laughs> it's all covered 100% by unit tests. Yeah. And they're yeah. always passing, so right. you don't ever have to. Yeah, sure. Right. Except that and, none of that's you know, actually true. Well, I think, and, and that's the thing, is because I, I think the, the easy answer for us on a show like this is to just say, like, well, you know, Really, do you want to be stepping from one to the other? Like, shouldn't you be covering your library with with tests? But the fact of the matter is, day to day, it's hard to get to that Zen like place. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. why that's why I asked. But um, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that these are some practical tips for for someone who, you know, we use NuGet day to day, and and we go get packages from from Microsoft day to day, or we might even go get our own internal company packages, but we never stop to think about like. How should we version this stuff, um, or or how do you set this stuff up in the first place? Because you figure there's some guru in in the workplace that figured it out. Yeah, right. And no one else knows how it works. And then right. you know, forbid that person from going on vacation or leaving. Like right. you're in trouble now. Right. 
because uh, that's even the CI infrastructure can be that way too. Like, oh my gosh, who set that up? Oh, right. So, and one of one of the big reasons for that is there are so many options, right? There's so many CI servers. There's Jenkins. There's uh, there's TFS. There's Team City. There's you know a whole bunch of them, um, and the answer is going to be fundamentally the same. You know, at the uh, underlying it all is just a regular MS build and maybe executing a couple commands like NuGet pack or something like that. Um, but the way you're going to instrument that, the way you're going to configure that is going to be different for each of these tools. So I think that's that's a little bit of the explanation for why there's not just here's how you do it, because it's going to be here's how you do it for Team City, Here's how you do it for TFS. Um, and just to go back to that real quick, we mentioned kind of on-prem solutions or different package management solutions. I can't believe that I forgot TFS. So the reason I forgot is, is I've never actually used it. But I, as I understand, TFS has NuGet package management built in. So I've seen demos. <laughs> I've never used it, but I've seen demos of using TFS source control, which you can also use Git in TFS, um, and, and using that the, the TFS build in a CI manner. So you commit into TFS in either Git or TFS source control, uh, kicks off the TFS build, publishes to the TFS, the built-in TFS NuGet uh, repository. And it just doesn't even leave that system. Uh, and then that is your, your NuGet repository. And that's both in the cloud, obviously in the cloud and, and on-prem because they are more or less the same thing these days. Uh, so TFS, if you're using TFS, it, it should be there. You can You can just start using it. Yeah, and then all of this stuff is in the Visual Studio team services. Yeah, yep, the yep. cloud-based system, right? Cloud so, version, yep. so I guess what we're saying is, is um, you know, your 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 package management system actually begins with your version control system, and that's why we talked about that last time. Yeah. And you want this to be as automated as possible, and learn about Semver because NuGet really adopts it. So you want to make sure you're, if you no breaking changes, the major number stays fixed. If there are some breaking changes, that's got to increment. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, automating or identifying a package maybe based on some metadata. Like I mm -hmm. liked the git commit hash mm -hmm. and uh, and get a simple server set up so that you can uh, quickly debug. Just because here, here's why this came up is I wonder how many people listening to this show. Uh, you're in this situation where you've taken a dependency and now you're, you're we want to debug into it. So what do you do? You remove the reference locally, yep, and yep. then go, go take it, yeah. the direct reference to the DLL. And then when yep. you try to debug into it, Visual Studio says, "Where's the PDB?" And you go, "Oh, it's right here." Yep. Or, "Where's the source code?" Oh no, it's right here. Yep. And so you sort of you hardwire it, you know, yep. you jimmy it up. And and a lot of us may know how to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of us listening don't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, because you can. And my whole point and the reason I wanted to ask you about it was, wow if you set it up as part of your developer infrastructure, yep. then, uh, you know, with a simple server and your new get packages publishing, your new get builds are publishing servers, then this all just becomes, it just works. Yeah. It's just and there, you, especially if you're using simple source.org, which is already configured in visual studio for you right now, you don't have to do anything else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, you do, you have to go and register and, and set up the feed and everything that one time deal. And then yeah. you've got to add that to your build command as you, right. as you pack and as you publish, you run those, MP, yeah. those uh, new get commands to pack and publish. You also have to use the symbols uh, flag to publish, but it's really not that difficult. It's a one-time investment. Once you've got it set up, 
it's just there. It's there if you need it. Right, but you need to know about the on-prem option because I think a lot of us, you mentioned this earlier, a lot of us are going to try to take this to work and there will be some resistance. Yeah. Like, hold on, well, wait a second, this is going to get published to some public place? Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there are private options that offer privacy. And yeah. one of them is build your own symbol server. Um, you could, or, or go get the ProGet product, bring it in. Or other yep. products like Artifactory, you can bring it in and own it all. Yep, yep, yep. And I do want to point out when you're doing that, um, especially when you're talking about an enterprise scenario, when you've got hundreds or thousands of teams doing this, and you're saying, per, and you've got it tied up to a CI, where literally every commit or at least every every push results in a new version of the NuGet package that is then stored in this system, and these things can be a couple megs a piece. Um, that adds up pretty quickly, right? And so now that you've chosen to manage that, you need to manage it. And one of the one of the the underlying things of NuGet and the the fact that when you add that reference, going way back to just NuGet 101 of find a package, add a reference, and now you've got a a reference not just to that package name, but also a specific version of that package name. The next time you go and build, whether it's tomorrow or in four years from now, that version needs to be there. That package needs to exist on that server in order for that build to work. If you go and delete it, you're, you're screwed, right? You've now yeah. circumvented all of that, all of that benefit, right? And so you really need to get into this, but you need to manage these these versions once you bring it in-house. Or even if you're using something like MyGet, I've seen a couple of different things out in the open source world uh, where they they tie up their uh, their CI to publish to the MyGit feed, which is free for open source projects, and so there's hundreds of packages because people are committing, and each CI build is is publishing to that that package feed, and you see the the, the consumption of each of those individual packages, and it's like three people, four people, right? <laughs> that that's not cool either, right? So you got to find okay. some middle ground of Yes, you want to build that package just to make sure the package builds and it's consumable, right, and everything. But when you're actually publishing for other people to consume, you need to set some some expectations there on both sides. As a publisher, I'm only going to publish so often, so I'm not going to overload the server. I'm not going to have to save hundreds of megs of things for years and years. Um, and as a consumer, you know, I know that when I get this version, it will always be there forever. I do want to get back to one, maybe two things. I know we're, we're over an hour here, so we've got to wrap it up. But uh, I do want to get back to one thing. I keep skipping over, go ahead and create the NuGet package, right? I think that's probably the biggest blocker for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to get too detail into it now. I mean, we'll, we'll link in the show notes how to create a, a NuGet package in, in the docs. It's really not that difficult, um, but they keep making it less and less difficult. So I will say, if you're on an older version of NuGet, if you're an older version of Visual Studio, um, I'll pitch my my package, NuGet.Packer. Just install package NuGet.Packer and then build in release mode and you have a NuGet package. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, but the reason that's easy is like I said earlier, that adds MS build targets. It actually extends your Visual Studio or your, your, your CS proj um, to include the ability to create a NuGet package. In NuGet 4.0, version 4.0 of NuGet, uh, they added that. They, or sorry, no. 
MS Build, where, when did they add it? M, NuGet 4.0 and MS Build 15.1. Um, but basically, if you're on the latest version of, of whatever, of Visual Studio, MS Build, that includes you know, .NET Core and the CLI there. If you're on the latest version, this is actually built into your CS prod. You don't need NuGet Packer or anything else. Um, and uh, you, can, you can just go and with MS Build 15.1, um, you say MS build pack, right? And it will go and it will make a NuGet package for you right from MS build. So you don't even need NuGet. You don't need the NuGet command line. It's just built right into MS build. Okay. Uh, with NuGet, so what happens in NuGet 4.0, what they added there, you can just point it directly to a csproj file and it will produce it without creating a, a configuration file first, a metadata file first. Um, so you just, you have your csproj file and then point you need you still need to get the nuget.exe so you need to have that on your build server or your build server needs to understand that um but then you just point that right to your cs proj file and it will produce the nuget package for you uh earlier than that you need to create something called a new spec file and that's the thing i'm not really going to get into but it is pretty simple so you said a couple of things that i think are are interesting like we talked about ms build and we talked which i think a lot of people maybe if you haven't heard of it if you have, you might just kind of know it by name, like, oh yeah, MS Build isn't yeah, that yeah. isn't that the compiler, <laughs> right? <laughs> or or everything we never see it. Or NuGet yeah. versions. What's tricky about that for me, thinking about the way I think most developers have to work, is I just think a lot of this is foreign. They just don't know. What yeah. do you mean? Because uh, I don't honestly. Until we started talking NuGet versions, I would not have remembered that. In fact, I couldn't have told you. If you would have done pop quiz, pop quiz, yeah. what version of NuGet are you using? Right. I don't know. I, I, I'm using, okay, <laughs> I'm using Visual Studio 2017. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. And, yeah. uh, and oh, I might know, I might know that I have, uh, you know, the, the, the latest version that just came out, the 0.5 or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's tricky. I mean, I think, what you said is valuable and it's and it just goes to show that that there's a little bit more to know here than can be covered in a show so don't be afraid to go look into new get versioning and to, and to look into ms build and how this stuff is first class where it, it used to be a bolt-on product so that's why we you had to have all these files to make anything go and now ms build it itself will produce this without you ever having to deal with with new specs or the new get pack command and it can just come straight out of your CS proj and it, it all just works and everybody's right, happy. Right. Which, which, which is indicative of the direction that everything's going to kind of pair. Well, right. Saying, right? Cause that, we never, we never talked about how .NET core is NuGet. Right. Right. .NET core is NuGet. .NET core, you have nothing but basically a thin shell around NuGet and that's how you get your, your packages, right? right? Even, even the runtime itself is a NuGet package. Everything is a NuGet package. And even more so when we talk about the granularity, Every assembly, what we call assemblies today, DLLs, every assembly is a NuGet package. They're right. basically synonymous, right? Every assembly is wrapped in a NuGet package, and that is the thing that gets shipped around to the point where I would expect in the next couple of years, especially in the .NET Core space, these assemblies become this kind of under this thing that happens under the covers, and we don't even really see them anymore, right? Because we're dealing in this higher level concept of packages, which, as we mentioned earlier, can include a whole bunch of things. Yeah, and it's just easier to to manage those things. 
Um, and then assemblies, the DLLs are just the thing that happens at runtime, right? They're the, they're the reference that actually runs at runtime. But as developers, what we interact with are packages. Yeah. And wow. that's what we produce, right? And right today we're used to producing DLLs. It's going to get easier and easier to the point where it was, it was recently just added directly into MS Build. So now it's not even called NuGet anymore, right? I think that's the important thing there. <laughs> it's in MS Build. It's not NuGet anymore. It's MS Build. Okay. Right? The, the packing of it all, and, and you are creating a NupKeg. You're creating literally a NuGet package. Um, but you're using NuGet to do it. You don't need to download and install another tool. You don't need to download NuGet.exe and start using NuGet.exe. It's built into the core tooling. It's built into MS Build, which is the thing that you use to to, to orchestrate uh, your compiler and everything else, all of your build activities. Okay. So, yeah, so this is becoming an abstract of concept that yeah. we may not even use the term yeah. NuGet, other than the fact that it's, I have a feeling we won't get rid of that term for a while, but it won't mean what it used to mean. It's just going to mean like, oh, it's a package. Yeah, package. Yeah. 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 yeah cool. Package, package, package reference. Um, yeah, package reference. Yeah. Awesome. I have <laughs> I have one more topic that I want to get back to because it's it's I want to tackle another thing that uh, that is difficult for particularly enterprises who have to deal with these shared libraries at scale. They have a real problem getting over, and that is GAC. This could be another episode in itself. This could be an hour, um, yeah. but I just want to spend like five minutes on it and just kind of talk about. Uh, when we're talking about NuGet packages and package references, and I've been talking a lot about it in the context of CI, build time, right? That doesn't necessarily have to affect the fact that you choose to continue to use GAT assemblies in production for whatever reason. I think kind of going back to the future and the direction that everything is going, .NET Core, packages, you know, explicit references, everything is clearly going to bin deployments, meaning everything for your application is in that folder and it's not in any system level folders or anything. That's the clear direction of .NET Core in particular. Um, even Microsoft, if you Google GAC in the docs right now, it explicitly tells you, nah, you shouldn't really be using GAC anymore. It used to be a literally a recommended best practice. And now yeah, right. Microsoft themselves are saying, yeah, nah, you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but regardless, if you have chosen to do that and you still want to do that, you can still mix and match. You can use NuGet packages to manage all the benefits that we talked about, the versioning and everything, um, the, the avoiding committing assemblies into your source control. You can still use NuGet packages for the build. And then when you deploy your app, just don't deploy those packages in your bin folder and rely on the GAT assemblies that, that live in the server if you want to do that. Just want to kind of throw that out there. You can mix and match. I'm I'm not recommending you do that. I'm just saying it works. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that's the big difference between .NET Framework and .NET Core too. Is you, .NET Framework you installed it onto the server. Yeah. And I used to. I always even kind of make the joke now, like it infects the server and changes the registry. And yeah. And and .NET Core is um, while while they do have a shared framework solution. It's still just a bunch of packages. Yeah, and the the big argument that I cannot 
win so, so far right now I'm, I'm having a difficult time having is uh you know security or 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 performance updates these critical updates that we've got this common assembly that's used by thousands of applications and we just found a security hole in it and we want to be able to patch that security hole in the, the, the shortest amount of time possible right and we don't want to rely on the application teams doing anything and so it's so much easier to just have that the owner of that assembly go and create a new build and then the engineering team the ops team just goes and rolls that out across all the servers and then the apps team the app team comes in the morning right this all happened at at three in the morning and the security hole is is patched and the dev teams come in in the morning and say hey everything's looking great right the best argument i've been been able to come up with is you don't really want to change application teams uh, applications underneath them without you know testing and everything but it doesn't really hold a lot of water if you're talking about a true hot fix which is very targeted just to that one thing and it's pretty well tested then and you want to roll it out pretty quickly there's there's still pretty good argument for GAC, but that's that's really as far as i'm concerned yeah. really in that big enterprise scenario right if it's a any kind of smaller organization where you're talking about dozens or hundreds of applications, it's kind of easy to just redeploy them. Well, and supposedly the new enterprise architecture is something that might be container-based, right? So yeah, right, right, right. You know, self-contained, so such, yeah, self-contained right. Uh, deployment. Right. So this problem needs to be solved anyway. We're clearly going away from GAC uh, as an industry, uh, and and by GAC I mean just representing system level, not necessarily just specifically the .NET implementation of shared assemblies, but system level global configuration and libraries and stuff, and very clearly going to uh, to, to, to isolated application level uh, managed configuration and, and libraries. Right. So cool. Awesome. Anything else? Is that a show? Yeah, that was a lot of stuff. That was, that was a lot of stuff. We we're an hour and 17. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was pretty good. Uh, and so you listener, what do you think about NuGet? Have you used it to manage your own packages or go even beyond to, to deploy tools or anything that we talked about in this episode or haven't talked about in this episode? Uh, any tips or tricks that you've used that you want to share? Uh, as always, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, we want to hear about that too. So please, please leave us a comment on the website, staticvoidpodcast.com, and let us know what you think. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, even if it's, you know, the, the show sucks or this is awesome, yeah. whatever. Yeah, we want to hear from you. What are doing out there? Yeah. Chris, thanks for the chat. Yeah, this was great. And thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Static Void Podcast. Yeah.